The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Wednesday, which means we're going to be picking out some of the best work available on The Athletic right now and putting the author under the spotlight. He's only gone. Oh, so close to a goal. Appeals for a penalty. Certainly gets a bit of a guard. And no, it's gone against Arsenal. I can understand we are promoting the challenges in the Premier League 50-50 with the ball. Sometimes we have seen a joke of penalties, honestly, and sometimes we see real dangerous actions and we don't take action. Bernardo Silva, Shaq has got to be so careful. Yeah, I think he's got a point. Silva's thrown himself on the floor. Xhaka has got a little piece of his shirt and it's good movement and he has beat Shaka. He is going to be blinded by the fact that he has got hold of his shirt and he's going to give the pen. Uh, you know, we see that there are few game weeks, few games where we, the referees, they, they become a bit softer in terms of penalties or in terms of red cards, then it comes opposite, you know, because they speak. I don't know what, what happens, but we don't see the consistency even in the same game. And after loads of big refereeing decisions over the weekend, this week it felt like there was only really one piece to focus on. And that's an article by senior writer for The Athletic, Stuart James. He's written about the great refereeing conspiracy gripping Premier League fans across the country right now. We're also going to be joined by editor Dan Barnes to dive into do referees really have a bias against our clubs? We're also going to be talking about the sort of bigger picture around lack of diversity in refereeing as well. Yeah, looking forward to getting our teeth sunk into it. Certainly got some referees in my mind that have done me wrong over the years, as I'm sure you have as well, Fleur. Before we do get stuck into it all, remember you can sign up to The Athletic today for just £3.33 a month for 12 months. Just head to theathletic.com slash football pod. You'll get all the great writing available on The Athletic. And as well at the moment, we've got the January transfer window, so expect plenty of transfer content. You'll also get ad-free versions of all the podcasts, including this one. Stuart, welcome back again to the podcast. Last podcast of 2021 you were on and you're on the first of 2022 as well, which I'm sure is a huge, huge honour for you. Uh, have, you been, have you been back to Swans? Have you been to a Swansea away game since we last spoke? No, the Swans haven't played. I've forgotten oh, what it's no. like actually to see them play. So um, yeah, their games have been off uh, through lots of COVID cases and that kind of thing. So I think the next one is Saints in the FA Cup on the weekend, which will be behind closed doors, obviously, because the restrictions in in Wales. And uh, yeah, I'm not overly enthused by the thought of... Uh, playing uh, Southampton in the FA Cup third round I've got to be honest we've got Dan Barnes with us as well Dan how are you hi yeah yeah I'm great thank you good to have you on I think I've worked with you before so nice for me as well Stuart your piece that we're going to focus on and this is a this is a safe space so before we start I'm going to go around each of us and we're going to talk about a referee that has stayed in our mind permanently since they did our team wrong Stuart <laughs> you, you spoke about yours in, in the piece which referee is it that, that's roiled you over the years yeah, Andre Mariner, really. Um, I should be, you know, 46. I should be able to let go of things like this at my age, really. No. Um, but yeah, a few years ago, FA Cup quarterfinal, Swansea versus Man City, Swansea 2-0 up. Uh, it was a brilliant game, actually. And then City get back to 2-1. And then... Sterling, oh, penalty. Penalty given. Carter Vickers on Raheem Sterling. Well, you can see why he would protest his innocence. Uh, Mariner gives a penalty um, for a challenge by Carter Vickers on Sterling, which it showed that he clearly, uh, well, in the replays, he clearly got the ball. Ridiculously, actually, there wasn't VAR that night, even though Swansea was equipped to have VAR because Swansea were a championship club and they decided at that point that the only teams that should use VAR, even if they can have access to VAR, are Premier League more, clubs. More biased, yeah. More biased. More biased, yeah. totally. But, and further evidence of that, yeah. Um, so... Um, yeah, and then the third goal to cap it all, uh, the winner for City was offside as well. So, um, yeah, uh, Andre Mariner. He's only been back to Swansea once and that was behind closed doors. So that was probably for the best, I guess. So, um, yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the person who continues to uh, rile me when I think of referees, which is obviously ridiculous, really. Dan, safe space, who's yours? Uh, not so much riling, but I think 
the referee that sort of sort of occupies the most rent space in my head it would be um, the Spanish referee uh, Antonio Mateo Lajos. Um, I think if you saw a picture of him, you didn't see you know who I mean about, but he's the Spanish referee. Um, who referees obviously a lot of UEFA games. You'll see him regularly in the Champions League or the Europa League. And the best way to sort of describe him is just that he's pure refereeing pageantry. Um, into, I'm sure he riles everyone that he plays against. And I think he's got quite a sort of fractitious relationship with Pep Guardiola. I believe he um, sent Guardiola to the stands during the uh, Manchester City, uh, Liverpool Champions League uh, sort of games a few, a few years ago. But ev- everything that he does is done with aplomb. And I'm sure... Every team in Europe thinks that he has a uh, has a bias against their club, but he is nothing if not complete box office and just the kind of referee that no one would ever accuse of, uh, of of sort of lacking control of a game. He has every sort of minute of a match in the total palm of his hand. I thought you were going to describe him as pure evil. Then I was quite relieved when you went with that. <laughs> what you to say, Flo, your ref. <laughs> Well, I think what Dan has perfectly described there are refs with real main character energy. I think Mike Dean is one of those quite dramatic. You know, they, they love to be the centre of attention. And I think for QPR fans, Keith Stroud has become a bit of a nemesis for them. He uh, sort of ruled out a goal in the recently cup defeat to Sunderland. QPR should have won that game 1-0. Charlie Austin scored a goal that wasn't offside, was onside by probably two yards or so, uh, and QPR ended up losing that game to pe- in penalty shootout, which then denied a quarterfinal game against Arsenal. And then Stroud actually refed QPR just a couple of days ago against Bournemouth on the 27th of December. Another main character performance, uh, Stroud was once again star of the show. And actually after that Sunderland game, there were a few sort of petitions that were launched on change.org to stop Stroud from ever refing a QPR game again. And obviously they didn't work because he did ref that Bournemouth game. But yeah, he's become a bit of a nemesis for QPR fans. And any single time his name pops up next to a QPR game, it doesn't go down very well. But I'm very, very interested in getting stuck into this chat. And also the comments... Because I did see, I did have a look at some of the comments under Stuart's piece. And it's certainly a piece that got readers talking. And I think we'll get listeners talking as well. Because yeah. I think we all we all have that feeling. And, and I think there was one, there was one comment that I think was the first comment under the piece that I thought was really interesting, which was a reader who'd acknowledged the fact that bias is part of human nature and therefore we can't disregard it which I think is an interesting point to make um but I I think it's something we as fans we all we all feel it don't we we all have that kind of theory about uh, about a referee about their about a vendetta they may have against our team or whatever it, it is but at the end of the day this is they're paid professionals and their job is to not be biased but it is yeah. hard to do I mean Dan who is your who's oh, your nemesis I, was, I thought you weren't going to ask me there and I was going to be really really angry because I felt, felt like I need to get, get it out of my system now that I've been thinking about it all morning it's not Kevin Friend who Stuart mentioned in, in, in his piece it's close to being Kevin Friend he's probably second it's Phil Dowd <laughs> 2010 League Cup final Nemanja Vidic hauls down Gabriel Bonlahor when he's through on goal. Doesn't even get booked. Villa get the penalty and go 1-0 up. Vidic doesn't even get booked. Um, unbelievable. Should have, should have been a red card so early on in the game. I think that's why Vidic gets away with it. And then he commits another bad foul later on in the game and he does get booked. Could have been sent off twice. Yeah, that, that performance from Phil Dowd in the League Cup final in 2010, that will stay with me forever. Because in my mind, if it wasn't for Phil Dowd, Aston Villa would have won the League Cup in 2010, Stuart. Yeah, I was there that day, actually. I remember it well, Dan. And I, that, I think that's one where you look at it and think, if you're a Villa fan, you think, if that had been the other way round, oh, you'd have given what it. would have happened? And that's what you can... And now I guess that talks to what you're... We've said there about maybe there is... And obviously, I sort of didn't say this in the piece, but yeah, I don't know if it was biased, but referees Fear. I, I don't know it's Fear like, it's like that, You'd, yeah that, that yeah that kind of aura thing and, and that, I, I guess that I remember typing somewhat on Twitter years ago actually when again Swansea this was Swansea at Man United and, and Neil Swarbrick uh, gave a penalty against Swansea it, it was a clear um, dive and, and he took a long time looking at it and I remember typing before he blew the whistle and then gave it and I said Neil Swarbrick thought a long time there about that penalty and then he remembered he was at Old Trafford which is a silly thing to say but that's kind of how I felt that oh yes Man United I need to give this 
And I'm, that that was a travesty that day in that League Cup final. O'Neill was so upset about it, rightly so, because it's a game changer in every sense. The penalty wasn't enough of a punishment, you know. Yeah, um, but it's weird how these things stay with you, isn't it? It's worrying, really, isn't it? I guess. I mean, I guess the reason you wrote the piece was it was it off the back of the of the week, the weekend's game that you that you wrote the yeah, piece. Yeah, it was really. Yeah, yeah. No, I had a chat with Alex, you know, the editor on on, on um, Sunday morning about it, and uh, I mean. <laughs> There's lots to be, and I'm sure we will talk about refereeing standards and that kind of thing, but I genuinely don't believe that there is um, bias. I mean, people will then say, and, and it's interesting looking at some of the comments, you know, people claiming there is, people saying referees are bent and corrupt and all the rest, and it all sort of gathers legs and gets crazy. Um, and then other people saying, you know, no, I don't believe they are biased, I just believe they're making bad decisions, performing badly. In some cases, people are using the word incompetence. And I think that's a whole different kind of strand of the debate, really. But I was just, this idea that Stuart Atwell went out there Saturday to, you know, make decisions uh, based on the fact that he doesn't like Arsenal. I just mm. can't really subscribe to that view. And actually, interesting, I don't know how much he really got wrong on Saturday, Atwell. Um, I know that would pour loads of fuel on the fire. but yeah, um, Your social media is in trouble. Yeah, well, I think yeah. I think. Let me retract that comment immediately. <laughs> I think it's interesting because, and you you make this point in the piece. You know, football fans are a unique breed of of human being. Um, they they are obviously fiercely loyal, full of opinions, and you know they they are devoted to their side and they and they you you can't it's hard to get out of that bubble. It's hard to get out of when you, you know put yourself in that position. Um, but Dan, other Dan, Dan Barnes, we've got two Dans on the show today, so it's going to get a little confusing. But other Dan, I mean, do you feel like for you, you've always looked at, at football as a neutral because you've got that sort of like journalistic ability? Or does the inner fan come out on you and do you think there's no way these refs can't have bias? Because I think the bias, the bias point is really interesting because... The Fergie respect, the Klopp respect, the Pep respect, whatever it may be, just the nature of the occasion, like a League Cup final, Dan, you know. Yeah. Sometimes as human beings, we can't we can't get that out of our head. I think you're right. Yeah. Talking about it as human beings, I think, is, is an important point because, you know, I sometimes try and be a bit holier than thou when it comes to sort of accusing referees of bias or anything like that. I try and sort of think like, look, you know, we're grown adults in most cases discussing this game. Like, but at the same time, you know, that just shows sort of the the power of the emotions that go into go into football that make people feel so vehemently about things. I do sometimes feel that bias can be is sort of a bit of a leap from a referee simply making mistakes. Mm. Um, I mean, I think it's just it's human nature in a lot of ways to sort of think there's something insidious going on. There's something, there's something evil bubbling under the waters and, you know, whoever it might be, Phil Dowd, Kevin Friend, they've really got it in for a team. They're, they're secretly wearing a, wearing the shirt of the, of the opposition underneath their, underneath their refereeing outfit. It's just, it does seem like a bit of a, a leap in certain situations. I mean, I, I sometimes wonder if like, I don't know. It's it's easy to sort of demonise a figure and kind of have them as a sort of uh, someone you've decided is uh, is against your club. But I mean, I guess sometimes maybe this is maybe I'm asking for too much empathy here. But do we sort of need to put ourselves in the referee's shoes every once in a while? Yeah, that's interesting. Has anyone had a go at doing that? Have you had a go at doing that? That either of the Dans or Flo? I I have actually got my referee some referee badges, but I got them when I was about sixteen. So that's over ten years ago. A few rules have changed. Like don't don't admit that, Flo. Even even refereeing when I did my badges and I refereed, you know, like under twelves, seven aside. I mean, even that was tense. Some of the did chat you, you get from the parents from there. Did you like, ever get told hell. that you didn't? Did you ever get told that you didn't know what you were doing? Or, or oh, hundred percent. Or probably, you know, even graver. Did you get told that you'd lost control? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. I, did, I got a few like, come on, like, the, what is that decision? You have no idea what you're doing. Luckily, because. Um, you know, under twelves weren't really descending into too much chaos. Uh, I, I, I could manage the game. I could keep control of the game. But yeah, the pressure, even in those moments, let alone if you're doing like cup finals or, or whatever. I mean, it's it's intense. It's really intense. Yeah, I did some work for the PGMOL the other week, and I got told I was going to be hosting a discussion with Chris Foy. So my first thought was, 
Better go back and look if I've ever said anything on social media about Chris Foy. <laughs> <laughs> I went through my tweets and I, and I hadn't said anything bad about him, which, which was good. I then Googled to say, did Chris Foy ever do anything to Villa? Has is is he ever upset me, Chris Foy? And he actually hadn't. And then from speaking to him and doing the show with him, and the, I found this quite interesting. It fits into what we're talking about. Stuart, he said that he used to, whenever he was refing Chelsea, something always used to happen. Something he he ref that crazy yeah. QPR Chelsea game yeah. where obviously John Terry yeah. and Anton Ferdinand incident. We had two sendings off in that game as well. He was the ref, of the, was ball, he was the, ref of the ball boy game as well. You know, when the ball boy has a kick the ball boy. He said whenever he ref Chelsea, something just crazy seemed to happen and he used to he used to dread officiating Chelsea because he just something just always seemed to happen. So, you know, like Players love bad games. You know, Chris Foy seems to just find found himself in certain situations there when he's refing Chelsea, Stuart, which is quite interesting. Yeah, and that was like some of the replies yesterday. Well, how can it be that you know every time Anthony Taylor referees Chelsea, X Y Z happens, kind of thing? Do you know what I mean? And, and people see this kind of pattern, and like you're saying with Foy there, and think, well, it's no coincidence. Um, well, maybe it is. You know, um, why does one player keep scoring against one club and yeah. not another sort of thing? So. Uh, yeah, it's it's weird. I'm going to ask a question about refereeing. So I've done it a few times. Uh, I did a um, I did a course actually a couple of years ago, which the PFA have just started to run again for former members who um, they were looking to not fast track. So I don't think they like that kind of phrase, but get involved in in refereeing. The course was certainly the initial course was certainly quicker, I think, than what you'd normally do. But um, yeah, it was really interesting because I'd refereed a few games before that. I did I did write about this actually last year when there was the incident with the referee in the Ipswich game. I can't remember his name now. Um, can you remember, Dan Barnes, what the... Was it? Oh, you're detesting it. Is it Dr- Drysdale? Yes. Well done. Great shout. It was Drysdale. Yes. Um, so he ended up having this confrontation uh, with the Ipswich player, went kind of nose to nose or mm. forehead to forehead with him and... Um, and uh, and and then the piece I was basically writing was well, it's little wonder that a ref has finally kind of snapped, um, uh, because just as ridiculous as it sounds, refereeing kids' games and that kind of thing, I find it a horrendous experience. And I've done it a few times. If we don't have a ref on a Sunday, then you know one of the coaches has to kind of step in. And I had one it stayed in my mind as an apprentice at Swindon. Um, when uh, on a Friday afternoon, when you were a first year apprentice, you had to do uh, a sh- sort of a shift, so to speak, in the community office. And I got sent along to a secondary school to referee a football tournament there. Oh, my word. It was just so bad. Uh, the parents were on at me continuously. And uh, it's not good what I did, but I basically just put the whistle down after a while and just walked out of the place because <laughs> I just couldn't tolerate it anymore. And... And, you know, you hear some really bad stories about young referees being abused and the kind of things they have to deal with on the sideline. And when you stop and think about that, it's such bizarre behaviour. The idea that, uh, you know, an adult is screaming at a child in front of loads of people, not their child, someone else's. I mean, it's... it's so, so bad. And so I guess that leads into the point of, you know, well... Who'd want to do this, really? And, you know, I'm, like, looking at some of my mentions yesterday on Twitter thinking this is so bad. I can't imagine if a referee would... Well, there's, there's very few jobs in the world, right, where you would... Your 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 main shift, let's say, of your job... Imagine if you were sitting at your desk and you just had someone screaming in your ear for an hour and a half, calling you yeah. all sorts of names under the sun. I mean, there's no job like it. It's such a bizarre career path, so no wonder not many people want to do it, but... Stuart, as a former player yourself, uh, I mean, I would do a lot of work at BBC London and, and Steve Brown, we were talking a lot about the, the, that was actually at that point, it was the VAR decision at, at Spurs uh, that was a lot of the topic of discussion, that offside. Um, we were talking about that for, for a long time and Steve Brown used to play at Charlton, still kind of involved there. He was saying he wishes that they would get more ex-pros involved in the PGMOL mm. or PFA sort of collaborations to, you know, even get involved and in have them in as part of the VAR team. Um, you know, he was even kind of saying that. I don't know what you think about that in terms of improving decision-making or improving consistency, because that's the main point. It's the inconsistency, which then leads to people to talk about bias, to talk about incompetence, which isn't really fair, you know, for, for these guys who are, are having to do this job. No, I get what you're saying. And that inconsistency, like for me, I mentioned in the piece, the Tottenham-Liverpool game the other week, I just couldn't understand the, the penalty of Yotta and the incident with Kane. That's where I can understand why fans get really, really frustrated with that kind of thing. But the issue of um, former players is, is really interesting one because... 
some people would say that you should be able to fast track them. I, I did a piece years ago with a guy called Marcus Browning, who um, was a player at Bournemouth, Bristol Rovers, few other clubs, and he had to start like everyone else did, right at the lowest level. And I went down to watch him referee this game on a Sunday morning. The standard was abysmal. Um, and he actually had hardly any decisions to make. And I'm looking at Marcus thinking he played international football as well, I think, for Wales. He, he had a long career in the game. Why do you have to start at this level, referee? And I'm not saying you should be able to go straight into pro football. But I think they always it's always been difficult in terms of then seeming unfair that someone is having this kind of shortcut and people will argue over how much playing experience relates to actually being able to to referee um but the guys who were on that course with me a couple of years ago that they were quite they were genuinely genuinely quite um enthusiastic about doing this but when you then look at it and think i think you've probably got to do seven eight years minimum probably to get near a decent standard of football pro football if they're then retiring, say, at 35, that's an awful long time to wait to get the chance to go into what you call a proper career refereeing at the pro game. What are you doing in, in, in all that other time? You'd need another job. You need a job that allows you to get time off to ref. So, yeah, it's. I don't think we will see a change in that. You make an interesting point about whether they could be involved in the VAR process more. I guess the only counter argument to that would be probably people would say that you should have refereed at the highest level to, to be, be involved in, in the VAR yeah. process. And some people might disagree with that. I don't know. But I think I think having that empathy um, with players would be so, so valuable. But we don't see, you know, we don't see that many come through, hardly any, in fact. And I'm not surprised because of the length of the journey. I think that will naturally put people off even if they start off thinking oh yeah I wouldn't mind giving this a go I think they'll just find it too slow that whole process both Dan's I, I also wonder your opinion what winds me up when I watch pundits on match today talk about reputation you know like I think Carragher was talking about that a lot after the after the um, City Arsenal game I think which is you know Oh, actually, no, it was more the Aspilicueta uh, sort of uh, elbow situation with Mane after the Chelsea-Liverpool game. Carragher was talking a lot about reputation and about how, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, he's not that sort of player sort of thing. And Granit Xhaka spoke to the Athletics' Amy Lawrence about this, about how he perceives that his reputation as a player that's had a lot of sending-offs influences referees' decisions. I don't know what you guys think about this. I try and just think of all the things that a referee has to sort of contend with when they're faced with like a big decision and say let's take for example you know Mane catching Azpilicueta in the face you know that's just you know whether the player's reputation comes into it they've got the howls from the crowd they've got to they, they also have to kind of consider and this is kind of coming back to sort of Stuart Atwell against Arsenal but like I, I often think they also have to kind of consider their own performance on the day as well like some you know for a player sometimes they might step on a pitch and just everything goes wrong they make three or four critical errors it could be the same with a with a referee to a to a to a to sort of a certain degree I mean I'm, I'm sure that maybe Stuart Atwell in his head thought okay you know like I've annoyed the the Emirates with the with the penalty decision you know my decision to give it or whatever you know crap I've accidentally sort of got in the way when Martinelli's about to have a shot on goal so that's another mistake I'm, I'm sure my sort of referee and assessor would tell me off for that um so yeah that you have to do with all those things so I'm sure you might tell a referee to just kind of treat every player as if they're sort of faceless and it doesn't matter who they are, but then they're refereeing the most famous people in the world. So if it is someone you know is is kind of is sort of has propensity to kind of like you know do things that are violent, then maybe that does come into their thinking. You know, I just I just think it's so hard. I have no idea how a referee kind of makes all those split second decisions and kind of blocks out all the all the noise that comes when there is a contentious uh, decision in any game, really. That's that's interesting, Dan, because when we did this piece the other week with Michael Oliver and the young Freddie Fraser, 13-year-old ref who, who wants to be the next kind of Michael Oliver, he was talking to Freddie about this and dealing with when you're in the middle of a game and and you've made a decision and it's against, say, like it's probably like an Atwell situation against the home team where there's going to be the most noise and how you then handle that and how important it is to shut that out and actually have faith in your decision-making. The reality is those in the crowd have only seen that once. They've seen it from a distance. 
you've seen it up close, back in your judgment and having faith in yourself and thinking, no, I know what I saw there and I'm confident I made the right decision. But I can't imagine how hard that is with 50,000 people absolutely on your case. And he said, the danger is you start to doubt yourself and that then affects your next decision and then the next one. And all of a sudden you've made two wrong decisions because you've allowed that outside noise to come into your head when actually the first one was right anyway so uh, you know the mental strength they must need to to do that it's not for me I mean I, I I the kids game I did a couple of years back I'm not proud of this the dad was going on and on at me at the side and in the end I chipped back at him because I couldn't stop myself well obviously you can't you can't do that as a referee and it's uh an absolutely uh thankless job in many ways a little story when Swansea played Cardiff earlier in the season about 10 minutes in Cardiff Lab runs through wide on the left I am absolutely convinced he is offside <laughs> I mean I'm not even in doubt in my mind and I'm up out my seat and you know Lino you know bellowing at him in not a way that is uh, particularly clever when I think about now my lad next to me anyway I was so sure and I watched the game back afterwards um because we won 3-0, I clearly wouldn't have watched it back otherwise. <laughs> and uh, and I thought, oh, bloody hell. He was clearly onside. And a few days later, I was watching a game with my son at home and Lines made a bad decision. And, and my son said to me, he said, uh, oh, dad, he's just like that linesman in the Cardiff game. And I went, actually, Zach, that linesman had it absolutely <laughs> spot on. And he just looked at me as if to say, well, you were slating him, dad, kind of thing. And, and that comes back to my point of only seeing what you want to see when it's your team, you know, and... And that sort of plays into the whole narrative, really, of especially when you then go posting comments on Twitter straight after a game and, you, you know, the emotions are running wild. And, and that's why I say if you watch a game through a neutral lens, I think it's such a different experience. Coming back to reputation, dare I mention, Dan, what happens the next time Trezeguet goes down in the penalty oh, area? what was that all about? <laughs> what did he do that? What, well, what exactly. Did he do that that's, it is Honestly. that. It's totally I that. Have, I think I there's lots that. of players who get reputations as divers and it, they can't win a penalty for love nor money. But that was ridiculous. I mean... We talk about bias and stuff, but I'm I'm screaming at him as a Villa fan, absolutely fuming that he's done that yeah. at the, the, the weekend because he's just so unnecessary. It was so blatant, and he could he could have carried on. Yeah, he, just go, he, he got thing. himself into a good position, but instead he goes down holding his face for absolutely no reason. Yeah, that yeah, he's not getting any penalties anytime soon because there there must be a little bit of but there must be a little bit of bias that Jacques, that Xhaka talks about because I know when I watch Arsenal, if ever Xhaka's on the scene, I'm thinking. He's, oh, he's, done, he's, he's done something there. I, 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 th- I don't. Th- I just don't think you can block. I just don't think you can block that out. I really don't. I think, and that's why I come back to that that p- uh, comment from one of the readers. I think there is always, and I don't mean bias in a sense of I hate Chelsea, I hate Manchester United. I just think of as human beings. You know, there is a pattern that will exist of you know a certain player, you know a certain manager. And I think that respect that that referees seemingly had for Alex Ferguson and probably other managers around the world and opinions that they all have on players and the way that players play, if they're quite an aggressive player, I think, you know, it's going to be harder to ignore that when you see a rash, quick challenge and you don't have VAR if you're not managing in the Premier League or at the top of of any of the divisions in Europe, you're not going to have the luxury of replay and you're probably going to lead with, you know that's Granite Xhaka. He, you know, he has previous at this, and and that's what you've got to base it on sometimes. Yeah, I tell you what, we're all getting fired up. We should probably go to a break. I think we're well overdue <laughs> going to a break, but there's plenty more to discuss after that break. We're going to talk about the lack of diversity in the current group of Premier League referees and why that matters. Please stay with us. Look for my money, and I'll be very. Frank here, I think refereeing in this country is neither diverse. We have very few black referees. It's something I've been very, very forthright on because I think it's something we need to confront. We've got one demographic, the same old people making the same old mistakes. And this is what time and again we are left with. Time and again, that type of referee is being given the big games and it's leaving other Fans of football clubs frustrated because they are making calls that people simply cannot comprehend. So that was Darren Lewis there, assistant editor for the Daily Mirror, speaking to Sky Sports about the lack of diversity at the top of English refereeing. I think it is it is worrying when you see the same faces doing every single one of the top games. And I can imagine as a player 
when we've got such a diverse league across the whole of the football league, not just in the Premier League, as a player, it must feel frustrating when it's just the same guys day in, day out, and you don't see any of your diversity reflected in those that are managing the games as well. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's not right, is it? Quite simply, I think there's forty. I think I'm right in saying there's forty referees operating across the Premier League in the Championship, all of them white. That just doesn't sit well. No, um, and it's strange when I think back as well. You know, you think of Uriah Rennie um, refereeing through what we talk. I think he retired 2008, and that was the last time there was a black referee operating in the Premier League. Um, and you'd have thought at the time that maybe. Uh, Rennie might have been a bit of a trailblazer and paved the way for others and that's absolutely not been the case um, I think there are only four um, non-white if I can use that expression uh, minority ethnic uh, referees operating in the top seven leagues so that goes down to National League North and South which again is just a really alarming statistic um, Sam Allison who I think Dan Barnes knows uh, well obviously from playing at Chippenham Dan um, yeah. and I played uh, against Sam a bit in the semi-pro game. He's been working his way through and he's now at um, professional level. Um, I, I mean, I did read an interview with him a while ago and it, it, he didn't talk there as if he felt he had faced additional hurdles, but that's not to say that others have. Um, and makes you wonder about reform. It makes you wonder about a fresh way of operating in terms of the PGMOL. I've long thought my own personal views that it's time for change at the top, that Riley's been there a long time now. Um, uh, I'm not saying in any way here to be clear that he's linked to those figures, but I just feel the PGMOL will benefit from a fresh face or some fresh leadership. But if we go back to those statistics, then then they're, they're bleak. There's no two ways about it. This is pure speculation on my behalf, but do you think everything that we just spoke about, the abuse that referees get, do you think that stops people of ethnic minorities getting involved because they maybe feel that that's going to add another layer of, of abuse to them, if that, if that makes sense? I think that's, you're right, exactly. I mean, that's what a referee, you know, re as a referee, you have to have the thickest skin imaginable, really. We've, we spoke a little bit earlier about the pressure that you face. I mean, Sam Allison, who Stuart mentioned earlier, you know, I spoke to him a little bit when he was a sort of a non-league player who was starting off in his refereeing career, and he spoke to me about... You know, nowadays he's he became has become the sort of the first black English league referee since Uriah Rennie. I think in twenty twenty he became the first one. But he spoke about sort of all the kind of games that he had to do. You know, he had to be he had to do X amount of games at Southern League level, but just before he was allowed to be a linesman in the National League South. Then he had to do referee a number of games in the National League South before he was allowed to even referee in the National League. Now he's obviously a ref, someone who's gone on become a successful English uh, English league referee, but as a sort of minority, he must be well aware that he looks different to all the referees and there shouldn't be a problem to that. But ultimately, I'd imagine stepping out there, there's probably a small part of him that wonders that if, you know, if he is going to ever be abused, which is sadly come to the territory for a referee, that, you know, that kind of thing could happen. Um, on a similar thing, this isn't necessarily to do with ethnicity, but for example... We can remember years ago, obviously, with uh, the sort of Ferrari that happened with um, Sean Massiellis um, as a sort of a female referee. Now we've got we've got Rebecca Welsh, who's I think set to uh, sort of make FA Cup history this weekend and is going to be in charge of a game. But Sean Massiellis, you know, I think this was actually after sort of the whole sort of when she was obviously unfairly criticised and caught up in that whole sexism storm. But I saw her referee a game in the Southern League as well. It was I can remember it well. It was a match at Oxford City, and you know, this is this is non-league level there's 400 fans there so she goes to book a book a player and someone shouts out from the stands oi love it's 0775 you know making out that she's you know she's booking a male player because she wants his phone number now obviously you know <laughs> people are slapping themselves on the back and cackling at that but you know that just shows the kind of extra sort of layers of sort of misogyny or whatever it is that you'd have to deal with as a female referee so if you were going to have to you know spend seven eight years going through the going through all this all the all the levels to to make it to the make it to the professional leagues or and and you know have to deal with all that abuse then with p the potential that you know people are going to think you're different because you're black or asian or because you're a woman i mean it's not really a surprise there isn't isn't as much diversity and you know it's always we can strive for that however 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 sort of we want to but it's not an easy thing to sign to kind of 
implement because people are going to, you know, people have to want to sort of go on that arduous journey. And when they obviously get there to, to then be sort of the, the constant target f- from abuse. So yeah, adding, looking different somehow into the mix, it's, I can understand why it's not very appealing. And also there's, you know, looking at the bigger picture across the whole of the game, not just in refereeing, there's huge issues when it comes to racism and, you know, sexism and misogyny, just like um, Dan said, and, and and homophobia and, and so many instances of discrimination that refereeing is probably, you know, not exempt from any of that. And culturally, football has so much work to do that seeing the lack of diversity in refereeing is kind of just a prime example of the work that needs to be done. And there's so, you know, the FA has, te- has tried various campaigns when it comes to respecting officials or recruiting officials or you know don't abuse officials but I think culturally as a game I don't know if they're ever going to get rid of that you know that nasty side which brings out all the worst bits and will definitely influence the fact that so few referees aren't white and you know so few referees aren't male because you'd look at that game and think I don't want to go anywhere near that yeah, it's just depressing, isn't it? Really saying all that, and, and and that's the thing I think, and what I thought when I spoke to you know young Freddie's white, but we're talking to a thirteen-year-old boy who's desperate to go into refereeing, and that he's so passionate about it, and and I'm gonna look at him and thinking, why do you want to do it, Freddie? And I'm also his dad's a good friend of mine. I'm thinking, are you happy with your son going out doing that? I think I'd find that quite difficult seeing you know my son or daughter being exposed to that at a young age, you know. Um, in particular, but actually at any age. And I can imagine what you're saying with non-league because the difference there, Dan, obviously, is you you hear the individual voices. You hear them as a player, you hear them as an official. When you speak to top-level referees, they'll say, oh, it's far easier. You know, they talk about their journey and they say it's far easier doing games higher up because it's just a noise. But lower down the levels when you're hearing those individual comments and and... And you're going to be putting up with them for an awful long time because, like Dan said, that arduous journey is taking time to get through it. And, and this is such a negative way of looking at it. But if you are a, you know, a, a black referee, you know, who's, or someone who's thinking of going into it, you'd, I can imagine people around them saying, "Why open yourself up to that?" And, that, and that's awful to look at it in that way. But you know, just it, it feels like the comments on social media more and more, the racial comments are more and more prevalent towards players. And when you see an abuse of a referee, then you throw um, ethnicity into it as well. It, I, I don't know. It just feels like it just feels like something where I would look at it and say, "Really? Do you really want to do it? Do you want to put yourself through that?" And it's awful to have that kind of view of it. But um, unfortunately, it's just kind of adding another layer to what is already a such an impossible an impossible job um and i don't know to go off on a bit of a tangent i i, I don't really know what we thought var was going to achieve I, I think we almost thought var coming into it would make it easier for referees and i'm not sure now if we try and think back you know the other dan now to um years ago before var it feels like the debate is every bit as ferocious now if not even more maybe and like, oliver touched on this to us in the interview where he, he said he feels that some people felt suddenly it was all going to be perfect. Well, it never is because the guy op- who was the VAR at the game, <laughs> obviously a human being, and it's going to be subjective how he sees things. Um, and then, of course, we come back to the consistency argument, which I get to a point. But then I said in the piece, I'm not sure that the... And for what it's worth, I thought the Edison one was a penalty, but I, at the time, I'm not so sure now. But I don't know if you can say, well, yeah, they're just exactly the same incident, Edison, in the Bernardo Silva one. It's a mess, isn't it? But VAR hasn't really solved anything, I don't think. Yeah, it's taken away the the, the clear offside call that, that, that might have been wrong in the past, but there's still so much subjectivity around everything else. Yeah, to point it back to your piece, it's, a, it's another layer of someone making a, a decision, but then the fans will look at it and say, that guy making that decision's biased. Yeah. So it hasn't, <laughs> hasn't really changed anything, anything from that point of view, has it at all? And I, I personally actually don't think, having watched, like like Dan referenced, a, a La Liga official, I actually don't think, and I feel like I'm in the minority there, that our officiating in English football is that bad. Um, but I notice, I sometimes think that it's people like ourselves talking about on podcasts, it's Sky and BT endlessly dissecting VAR decisions to a minutiae of a, you know, line that actually stir up more 
controversy and, and discussion than actually there ever would be if we just accepted that people make mistakes and they can't get things right 100% of the time because they're not robots and there's always going to be subject subjectivity to it. I actually don't think we're in a, a terrible place, really. I think it's just an acceptance of the reality. But that, I think that I just think that's an amazing point, Flo. I think like you look at sort of sort, some sort of you know certain broadcasters out there, and you know maybe we're even maybe we're even the, the fact that we're talking about it now. Maybe we're also sort of feeding that hatred economy that's going on right now. But you know certain you know a pulsating game like the uh, like the Arsenal Man City one at the weekend. It just was reduced to sort of becoming kind of, you know, constant talks about, you know, outrage at, at refereeing decisions. That becomes what we talk about. That becomes the narrative. We have, not to pick on people specifically, but we have ex-referees going on television on a Monday on television channels to therefore go through and sort of talk about all the mistakes or otherwise that happened over the weekend's action. I mean, it's just the outrage is always constantly fueled. And and something I kind of, because of that, something I kind of wanted to ask you guys, on, you know, because... You know, we're talking about people's accusations of bias or their constant way that they abuse match officials. Like, a lot of people's sort of response to that will be, oh, no, I just want consistency. Or they'll just say, you know, oh, the, the standard of refereeing isn't good enough. But, like, consistency, I find a really difficult thing when people say that because every sort of potential yellow card challenge is different every sort of potential red card challenge is different every every offside is different so we can we can have laws of the game to try and try and sort of apply but at the end of the day it's subjective it's like you know referees have to have to apply the law to the situation they see in front of them they can't just say oh well this you know they can't just whip out a book of previous cases and and sort of you know uh, compare them on the field can they so i don't know maybe Stu, yeah what i mean you know is that just a unrealistic flight of fancy ideal like anything of consistency or improving standards do you reckon I think it is Dan for the reasons like like you'll you'll get people I watched that Bernardo Silva one and I thought after they showed a replay I thought that's a pen in my eyes you know from watching it as a neutral and then you'll get other people say oh no he's already going down and 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 then they're saying, well, if that's a pen, then so's Edison got a pen. And I'm looking back at Edison on match today and thinking there's an angle where it looks like he gets the ball for, is it? And I, yeah, I don't, this, this strive for consistency, you're right. It is the word that everyone says they want when they, after they've criticised ref, but what actually is consistency? We and can't... sorry, that's, and that's just such an important thing as well. Like when it comes to the outrage, like, well, if that's a pen, this is a pen. Like we need <laughs> yeah. to st- stop, yeah. like these, these just like, they're the, like the situation of that decision and the emotions around whichever instant is different. Like it's a different, yeah. it's a different part. We need to stop. I know it's so easy to point and say, oh, well, if that person's got this, why didn't I get this? But like, these are different situations, even in the same game, even in the same half, different they're different situations we need to stop crying foul outrage just because you know it can i can understand being devastated by a decision i've been devastated by a decision so many times and things that i've thought are a mistake things that definitely were a mistake but i just think it's like like these things for me these things are different if i think back to that tottenham liverpool game then 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 i don't know what you guys thought but i thought kane was really lucky not to get a red card for that personally um yes and and I thought, and I, I thought, and, your, and I thought it was, was an orange. Pen. I thought it was an orange card challenge. Could have been given. Could have not. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that and that just shows you, you know different how different people can can interpret the same incident. There was so much brilliant play in that Arsenal game. It just got lost. And actually, when you've got you know ex pros there who 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 know the game inside out, um, you know, get them talking about Arsenal. That brilliant play for the first hour. Um, uh, get them. You know, get them talking about. What they know, where they where they are experts. Whereas you know, during the game, when we're saying, well, you know, well, we know where this is going to lead, what all the talking points will be afterwards. But actually, they ended up being all the talking points during the game as well, and it kind of overshadowed everything. It, it's it's quite tiresome. So when I spoke to Alex on Sunday, and you know, thinking about writing that article, one thing I really didn't want to write about was VAR. I just I just think now that feels so tedious to keep going back over that ground in. Uh, I know some people clearly weren't happy with me writing about <laughs> referees not being biased, but um, yeah, that, that that sort of narrative feels quite tiresome because I don't know where we're going with it. And, uh, and to come back to Oliver's point, it is never going to be perfect. And people thought it was going to be, then they're wasting their time. You know, the, the one technological intervention that I think we'd all agree has been fantastic is goal line technology. At least that's, you know, black and white and taken away... Um, some of those really bad calls, whether it's Lampard in the World Cup or anything else that used to happen over the years. But beyond that, it's very hard, I think, to think that we can 
get this kind of utopia. It's just not going to happen. We won't talk about something that gets labelled at me quite a lot on Twitter. Villa are only in the in the Premier League because of goal line technology oh. failure. There is, there is that. Doesn't, doesn't work every time, Stuart. Doesn't work. No, every time. No, I forgot that. Sheffield United. Sheffield United was it? Yeah, Sheffield United. Yeah. yeah, first first yeah. going back after after lockdown. Well, after COVID. Yeah. 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 Mad. It never works all the time. That's the thing. You, you're never going to get consistency with everything. It's the same with with players. You know, why don't players score every single shot that they have? Because they because they're human. Refs are human. Officials are human. That's the way it is. Something I find quite interesting, and and maybe maybe we'll see the UK start to do it more, is this notion of accountability. Because I have seen in German coverage of the Bundesliga, you do see refs actually coming out and 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 sometimes talking to the press. And like we reference here, we only get sort of ex pros um, coming on Sky or whatever and getting on a giant iPad and circling a few things. We never actually get. The, the man or the woman that made the decision there and, and ask them for their opinion or, or, their, or you know, just to explain it. Do you think that would make fans and possibly even managers feel a little bit, little bit better if they could almost see a referee say, well, actually, this was my decision around it and this is why I gave it? Because I feel like for so many of us, there's firstly a massive lack of understanding of the rules of the game. You know, loads of people, and I count myself in that included, there are lots of rules that you probably don't understand fully. So there's that factor of it. So if a ref said, well, actually, this is how the rule and this is how it works. And then secondly, just kind of an explanation of the context and and, and that as well. I think that could make a massive difference. On the face of it, I think, I, I remember whenever I thought about this year, I thought, yes, they should come out. And then talking to Oliver the other week was quite interesting on this because he, he was saying that, his feeling is that you'd only ever want to hear from the referee if he's made a mistake. You'd never what they'd never come out and if it if it was a routine two 0 win for someone and nothing controversial went on and say oh what were your thoughts today on you know a couple of decisions you made Michael Oliver so he feels they'll only ever be wheeled out when they've done perceived to have done something wrong and he said you'll end up just getting this stock answer which after a few weeks fans will get pretty bored with which goes along the lines something like well you know this is what I thought I saw at the time. Um, uh, if I, you know, looking back at it now, then maybe it appears a bit different. And if that's the case, then it was just kind of, you know, honest mistake. And he feels it would just get quite tedious after a little while of people coming out saying that kind of thing. And it happened in his words, well, after three weeks of that, people say, oh God, not that line again. So I don't know. I seem to recall Howard Webb coming out years ago, maybe after a game at Stoke. I can't remember what it was about. And I remember looking at it on Match of the Day and thinking, oh, wow, that's really refreshing. Why doesn't that happen more often? But as I say, the way kind of Oliver explained things there, um, yeah, it would feel like they're just also almost being, you know, brought out as a kind of um, criminal to like, you know, well, explain what you got wrong today, why you did what you did sort of thing. And then thanks. And we don't want to hear from you until you get another one wrong. So it's difficult. Accountability is an interesting subject, you know, in the broader sense in terms of if it isn't that, what do we expect from the PGMOL when a referee has had a bad game, which happens, you know, clearly they've got, we can see a number of things wrong. They probably feel that as well. The VARs perhaps had to correct them several times on decisions and should they then referee the next week? And you'll get really different schools of thought on that. Keith Hackett, who was Mike Riley's predecessor, had really strong views on that and felt that pay, pay, referees should be left out in the same way that players were if they were having a bad run of games and that they should sort of pay for their mistakes, so to speak, by not having a game the following week. I've never liked the idea that they go and do a game lower down the pyramid, almost like, well, yeah, it's okay for you to sort of be bad in the Championship or League One or League Two, as long as it's not in the Premier League. I don't really see that. So, you know, there's different ways of looking at it. Should they come out and talk? If it's not that, should they miss a game on the back of having a, a bad match? I wouldn't want to be the person who was in charge of uh, media training for referees as well. As he, I think, as you said, Stu, those those interviews could get pretty dull pretty quickly. I think, <laughs> like, let's be honest, as an entertainment product, do we really want to hear? You know, do we really want to hear sort of whoever it is, Jonathan Moss, just telling us that he's taking every game as it comes, and you know, <laughs> and and you know, and and and, and as he said, you know, they're gonna they're, they're gonna be wheeled, they're gonna be wheeled out like a war criminal for their mistakes. Like we're not gonna. I, I, who wants to hear, you know, who really wants to hear Kevin Friend tell us why, you know, why he only gave one book in that game or why he, had a, why he got a decision right? Like, we all talk about accountability, but then you have to take, you surely have to take the good with the bad, wouldn't you? And nobody's want, does anyone really want to hear about how you got, you know, you got all your offsides correct? Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just dull, isn't it, right? 
I think we're going to have to wrap it up there. I think we could have probably kept on going for hours, to be honest. But Stu, Dan, thanks ever so much for coming on and chatting to us today. And I'm sure we'll have you both on again soon. Thank you. Cheers. Nice to chat, guys. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Still time to highlight some of the other great writing up on the site right now. Flo, what have you been enjoying? Well, as a QPR fan, I was very excited to see Art DeRoche's interview with Chris Willock, who's having a really good season with QPR, scored the winner the other day at Birmingham. Um, Yeah, brilliant, brilliant player. I was so excited when QPR signed him because he just comes from, you know, brilliant stock coming out of that Arsenal Academy. And it, it maybe took him a little bit to get sort of like fully bedded into the championship but he is you know what you know when you see a player whose quality is just over and above that division and Chris Willick is is a prime example of that so yeah really interesting piece about his time at Benfica after leaving Arsenal and just how much being around that Arsenal group that kind of peak Wilshire Walcott obviously his brother as well Joe Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain Alexis Sanchez like that peak era um, how that influenced him. So, yeah, a really interesting interview. Yeah, good times for QPR at the moment. I enjoyed seeing Albert Adoma dancing around the Birmingham City ground yesterday, I think it was. Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. A lot of time for that from former Villa player Albert Adoma. I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to plug the Shearer and Rooney piece because I just think the job Wayne Rooney is doing at Derby at the moment is absolutely out of this world so I'm really looking forward to reading that I'm, pre- I'm presuming he Wayne really talks about life in management so I'm looking forward to to getting my teeth sunk in to that one and also a final reminder from me that you can read every article we've mentioned and so much more by signing up to The Athletic save 33% on a full subscription today by visiting theathletic.com forward slash football pod Thanks to you, as always, Flo, and our thanks goes to both Dan Barnes and Stuart James as well. And of course, thank you to all of you for listening. Get involved in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And wherever you get your podcasts, if you're enjoying the show, then please leave us a review as well. This was the Athletic Football Podcast. Mark Chapman and Matt Slater reconvene to discuss the business of sport tomorrow. We hope you'll join us again. The Athletic.